The following is a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. So this past week, we moved into the home that we're renting down in Caymanus Estate. Yeah, praise the Lord, it's happened. We're settling in. But we moved into the news that there's a thief who has been just plaguing the community since at least last month. And the pattern seems to be that this robber strikes at night and accesses people's homes by cutting through the mesh in the windows and steals phones and small electronics. I mean, the whole thing is angering and it's unsettling to hear. And we've had to spend some time just comforting the kids and helping them to put their trust in God. But the response, even from us having just moved in, is greater vigilance to protect what we have. It means that we're much more careful to lock the windows and we have a greater awareness of where we leave things and you're on the lookout just to see if you're spotting anybody who looks out of place. And then they circulated uh, some photos of this particular guy. So, you know, that, and you know, that can be problematic because then everybody starts to look like this particular guy, you know. Um, and I've heard that there's some blocks who have organized patrols in the middle of the night in hopes of catching the thief, and they got pretty close a few weeks ago. You know, we're praying, of course, that this person is apprehended and faces justice. But what do you think would be happening if the community was unaware of the robber's activities? What would be happening if the robber was stealing things that we didn't miss or did not value? Well, nothing, I expect. Life would be going on as usual with no particular awareness, alarm, or concern. We can lose a lot when we're not aware of what's being stolen from us. And I'm convinced that that's the case when it comes to rest. Too many of us are being robbed of God's precious gift of rest. God is constantly offering it to us, but it's getting stolen right underneath our noses by thieves that we may not have even noticed. And even if we have noticed, we haven't responded with the type of alarm that this requires. That might be because living without what we're losing has become normal for us. But I also think that it's the case that we may not realize the danger that we're in or the blessing that we're missing out on. Last week as we walked through the scriptures, I presented kind of from Genesis to Revelation, God's good gift of rest and the preciousness of that gift. As we journeyed, we identified the fundamental problem that robs us of receiving the gift of rest, and that problem is unbelief. But this week, we need to go deeper in our understanding. We need to acknowledge in the first place that there are life situations that can adversely affect our ability to rest uh, that we have little control over. But for many of us, what's doing greater and more consistent damage is unbelief. The lies we've bought into that are embedded deep in our hearts. These are the robbers that we entertain and may even see as our allies. But they are, in fact, our enemies. And they are robbing us of God's gift of rest, often in broad daylight. What's needed is greater awareness, a deeper understanding of life and of our own hearts, a greater vigilance not so much to protect what we have, but to receive what God wants to give us. So many of us are constantly on the go, responding as quickly as we can to the next demand, when what's required if we're going to learn to rest is to be much more careful 
and deliberate in how we're living our lives. We need to be able to recognize the enemies of rest, and we need to learn how, with God's help, to apprehend the ones we can. So what I'd like to do for you today is to draw some forensic sketches, like a police artist would, uh, of a suspect, a description of a suspect, so that we can do a better job of recognizing these rest robbers and protecting against them. But here's what you need to understand. These sketches will serve us best if we hold them up and then we look in the mirror. Because the extent to which they describe us is the extent to which we're going to struggle to receive the gift of rest. They'll serve us if we have the humility and courage to ask those around us, do I look like that? Because we all need help seeing ourselves clearly. So here's the big idea that we're diving into today. There are lies we believe that rob us of the gift of rest, and recognizing them can help us to combat them with faith in Christ. So I want to sketch the features of three of these lies and show how we respond to them by believing what's true about us in Christ, and therefore free our hearts to receive rest as a gift from God. Before I start to explore and sketch, I want to do two things. The first is to hold up one verse which I think encapsulates a lot of the truths that will help us to master the lies we look at. See, what we're ultimately after is work-rest balance in our lives, and a work-rest balance that has been shaped by and is, and is infused with the grace of the gospel. So what gospel truths help us to do that? Ephesians 2.10 is a shelf stocked with them that we're going to return to several times today. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's very interesting that a verse about workmanship and works is going to help us so much with rest. So here's the second thing. We're going to focus the majority of our time today looking at the condition of our hearts in light of passages like Ephesians 2.10. But I think it's important here at the outset for me to acknowledge that there are life situations, conditions external to our hearts that can exacerbate our need for rest and interfere with our ability to rest. There are some of you for whom rest is really difficult, not because of unbelief, but because of suffering. If you suffer from a chronic illness, you're probably aware of your frailty in ways that the rest of us often aren't. You know that you need to be careful about how much you take on because if you push just a bit too hard, your body crashes. Caring for a loved one who is ill over an extended period of time is another form of suffering that can be emotionally and physically exhausting. Some of you may even suffer from insomnia. When you lose somebody, the grieving process is another situation that can take a high toll on us. So can major events like moving house or starting a new job with a steep learning curve. If you live in a family situation that is high conflict or very demanding, or if that describes your work situation, then that too can drain you and exacerbate your need for soul-refreshing rest. But if, in particular, if that is what your home is like, then the place where you would be more likely to be trying to get rest is not likely to be a restful place. Another thing to be aware of is that there are seasons of life and particular vocations that drain us. If you're a mother of young children or a young child, you're in a notoriously demanding season of your life. 
If you're doing a residency as a medical student or you're in a particular phase of training in the army, uh, it seems like those things are designed to exhaust you and to stretch you to your limits. But it's not just the number of hours we need to be aware of. It's the nature of some jobs themselves. If your job exposes you to trauma or evil or suffering or injustice in a particular way, it can take a significant emotional toll. So police officers and social workers and psychologists or psychiatrists, even guidance counselors and teachers need to understand this. Now, there's a lot more I could list here, but, I w but what I want you to understand is that these external conditions don't disqualify us from receiving God's gift of rest or exempt us from learning to pursue it. If anything, they call us to be more diligent students as we learn from Jesus and to be careful and thoughtful about our time and commitments. Our circumstances may also mean that we need the help of others if we are to rest. This is true of single mothers in particular. One of the things I've been just praying about a bit and just watching as our community forms is just the fact that we need to learn to be a community that's sensitive to those around us who struggle the most to receive rest because of their external circumstances. And others of us need to learn to pace ourselves so that we're available to rest, so that we're aware of situations and we're available to help these people to rest rather, to, to swoop in and say, hey, what would help you this week? How can I serve you this week? Would it help if I took the kids for a couple hours? Um, just recently, Sarah organized something where she took a whole bunch of kids from a whole bunch of people, and I'm sure it served them. I know it served me. I was very tempted to go and work in that time, but it was my day of rest, so I actually went and rested. And it was wonderful just to know I had those hours to go and just rest while the kids were on break, and normally that would be challenging. So we have to learn uh, to serve each other in those ways. And... Uh, if we are facing external circumstances that make it particularly difficult for us to rest, it's very important then that we don't buy into the lies that can further rob us of rest, that that rest that's already difficult for us to get. Many of you work demanding jobs, but we need to be careful not to quickly jump to the conclusion that what is affecting you is a life situation. It might be a lifestyle that is a fruit of lies that rob you of rest. So, what are some of those lies? So, let's dive into our sketches now. So, here's the first one. I don't really need rest. Not really. Or at least not much. Maybe lesser mortals do. But I, I can go for days and weeks on only four or five hours of sleep. And I certainly don't need anything like one day off in seven. My strength comes from my indomitable spirit. My will to succeed. If you believe it, you will achieve it. I can do anything I put my mind to. Or if that doesn't resonate with you, I can use some Christianese. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The kingdom of God suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. No, admittedly, I don't know enough of the Christianese. Um, but the point is, whatever we tell ourselves and others, the outcome is the same. We push ourselves really hard most days and most weeks. Do you know, do you actually track how many hours you work on an average week? <laughs> Sheldon is admitting. Yes, Sheldon, confess, confess, brother. <laughs> but even doing that is a good starting point for some self-knowledge. Even when we fall ill, some of us find it difficult to stop, to rest. It's like we think our bodies will just keep up with our determination. And it's not working. 
It's not hard to substantiate the fact that as, as people all around the world are working longer and longer hours, we're seeing an increase in stress-related illnesses, in depression, in burnout, in suicide. And it's not just out there in the godless world. This is in the church too. I've read a number of books in my own personal journey and then especially I've kind of ramped up my reading as I've been preparing this series. So I've been spending time with at least five different authors and a few others around the place, but these main five authors that I've been leading, leaning on and learning from all wrote because they suffered a breakdown or serious physical illness as a result of overworking. All of them are pastors or in some kind of Christian ministry work. And they don't want the rest of us to have to go through that experience. If you tend to think that you can just keep going, then you need a good dose of biblical reality. We started talking about this last week. Accepting that we truly do need rest is a part of embracing how God designed us. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God compassionately remembers what you're like. But do you? When we live with rest as an afterthought or constantly say, I'll rest when I'm done, when I get this done, we show that we don't respect how God has made us. We behave as if we do not have limitations. But to be a creature means to have limitations. Now, kids discover limitations almost daily, particularly our boys. You see, boys will take their toy and they'll take that sword and they'll slam it as hard as they can against something and then it gets broken. Or they'll take that toy and they'll pull that string as hard as they can and then the toy stops working. And as parents, we try to help them to understand. So we say something like, sorry, son. It wasn't meant to do that. You're going to have to learn to be more gentle. But yet, don't we do that to ourselves? Don't we push beyond our limits and then suffer the consequences? But do we listen when our Heavenly Father says, Sorry, son. Sorry, daughter. You weren't meant to do that. You have to learn to go at a gentler pace. When we live like we believe that we don't really need rest, we show that we don't understand that we are integrated beings. David Murray, in his book Reset, spells out the substance of this particular lie. I can neglect my body and my soul will not suffer. I can weaken my body and not weaken my mind, conscience, and will. Living tired may affect different ones of us in different ways, but because we are creatures made by God, it will affect all of us in some way. And it likely affects those around us. If you doubt me, then ask them, what am I like when I'm tired? Does it affect you negatively? So, does our anchor verse, Ephesians 2.10, help us to combat this lie? I think it does. As Christians, we need to understand that the work we're called to do by God, by, by the God who created us and recreated us in Christ, is determined by Him. So one commentator notes, each of us has an eternally designed job description that includes the task, the ability, and the place to serve. And I'd pluralize all of those, the tasks, the abilities, and the places to serve. So if our job, so our jobs really, because these are good works in every arena of life, is determined by Him, it is to be carried out in dependence on Him. This is Kevin DeYoung. God made us to need sleep. And when we think we can survive without it, we not only spurn His gift, we show our mistaken self-reliance. 
remember that it is Jesus who calls us to both serve and rest. He meant for you to accomplish your job while receiving his good gift of rest. Don't be robbed of rest by the false belief that you are somehow above the need for it. So what other beliefs then are there that rob us of rest? Here's another. I am what I do. Now, mistaken identity can be a comical or a tragic thing. Have you ever been treated particularly well when you arrived at a place or welcomed or given some privilege because they thought you were somebody that you're not? So the other day I was driving out of a parking lot and I'm coming along and I pass a security guard and then suddenly he kind of trots up along the car to catch me and he's like, you're the artist. And so I'm momentarily confused, just kind of wondering, am I the artist? I don't know. <laughs> you know? And it dawned on me, of course I'm not the artist. I tell him I'm not. And so he expressed his surprise that I was not some dancehall artist. No, I can't remember which one. I wish I could because I didn't get to Google the picture. And, you know, so, of course, he goes on his way and I go on mine. You know, cause... But, you know, it can be funny sometimes when other people think you are somebody that you're not. But it's a tragic thing to spend the vast majority of our lives thinking that we are somebody who we are not. But that's what we do when we define ourselves by our work. And this confusion is built into our culture. Think about how we introduce ourselves to each other. When you meet somebody, you tend to first find out their name, and then what's the next question we tend to ask? So, what do you do? Yeah. And then we have this built-in ranking in our minds, and we rank people based on their jobs. So, you know, you find out that, oh, you're a doctor. Mm. You know, oh, and then some other jobs, you're like, oh, okay. And you kind of move the conversation on quickly because it doesn't seem that impressive. I mean, it's very unfortunate that we think that way. But think about how we disciple our children into this. What do you want to be when you grow up? And obviously the answer we're, we're expecting is not a fully grown human being. We're expecting them to offer us a prospective career as an identity. Because that's what we've all bought into. Work is a good gift. But our sinful hearts corrupt even good gifts. So we worship our work. We seek our satisfaction in our success. And work was never built to carry that weight of expectation. This week, an article came to my, t my attention through my email. I have some subscriptions, and I'm browsing through something, and this title hits me. If you are your job title, who are you when you don't have one? So this was a summary of the article. The growth of the gig economy has challenged a traditional job title. Now it's starting to challenge our identities. The world around us isn't even apologetic about defining ourselves by our work. But even they are finding that it is, an, it is unstable ground to build your life on. This author of this article wonderfully expresses how the shifting landscape of work is exposing the fault line on which we've been tempted to build our sense of self. She says, careers used to be a valid and stable marker of our success and thus our self-worth. I mean, I should read that again. I mean, just... Careers used to be a valid and stable marker of our success and thus our self-worth. But in the 21st century, workers have found traditional career paths waning. But she never gets to the heart of the matter in her article. Why are we tempted to find our self-worth in our work? Tim Keller, who pastored for a number of years in New York City, cuts to the chase. All of us 
are haunted by the work under the work. That need to prove and save ourselves, to gain a sense of worth and identity. If we are what we do, if our identity and our worth is established through our working, then no wonder we're restless. If we're driven by anxiety, no wonder we can't press pause. No wonder we open the door of our hearts and gladly allow this thief to rob us of rest. If you always have to be doing something important to be important, then you'll always be prone to overdoing. Thus, the I am what I do robber often comes with a partner in crime. Let's call him I'm better when I'm busy. Adam Mabry in The Art of Rest confronts us. Perhaps the most ingenious lie that the modern world has believed is that to be busy is to be better. Oh, I'm so busy this week, we say. But what we're often really saying is, look how important I am. I have many things to do and I must get them. I must do them, sorry. But are we better when we're busy? Most of us aren't. We are, in fact, miserable people to be around. We tend to see the people that God has put in our lives as inconveniences and interruptions. I have to be particularly careful as I work at home sometimes because I'm, I'm firing away at a sermon and one of the kids comes over and the annoyance spreads across my face, which doesn't make any sense. I'm working at home. This is where they live, you know. And they're actually pretty good at giving me space. They'll come up and say, Daddy, are you working? Are you working on your sermon? But I have to be careful to be able to disconnect for a moment and connect with them, find out what they need, uh, because that, that busyness just kind of eats away at my compassion and my patience. So sometimes they hear it in our voices, or even we, we, we pick up the phone and we, we, we're answering, and it, it's my wife calling, and it's a certain time, and I'm like, yes. Like, why are you calling me now? And I, I, we had a, a very good mentor in Louisville who challenged us about that because he used to do that a lot, and somebody challenged him. And so what he'd do is the phone would ring, and he'd compose himself for a moment and remember that this is his wife. This is God's gift to him, and they need to answer the phone in a way that reflected that. And that's helped me a bit just to slow down and say, hi, honey, how are you? Instead of, oh, I'm in the middle of something. Yeah. And the irritability is not just while we're working. It continues even when we're done because we're so exhausted. I think we're attracted to busyness, though, for another reason, apart from the hollow promise of importance. When we keep going hard, we don't have to face ourselves very often. Because when we face ourselves, we don't often like what we see or what we hear. What we hear is a voice saying, you are not enough. You're not good enough. You need to do more. Because doing more is going to make you more. So how do we combat these lies? Let's get back to our anchor verse. If you are in Christ, Ephesians 2.10 announces good news. It establishes your, your identity, not in your work, but in God's work. It tells us that we are His. We are His workmanship, His poem, His masterpiece. Outside of your doing anything, God delights in you in Christ. He set His love on you when you were disobedient and deserving of His wrath, uh, so that in the future He can shower immeasurable kindness on you forever and ever. And all of that is true before you lift a finger for God. As Christians, this is where we find our identity. We are defined by whose we are. We are His. 
We are his beloved sons and daughters. That's what we sang earlier. We are children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord. Our work has its place. In fact, in this verse, our work comes a few words later. But it is not who we are. We are his. We did not earn that by our work, and we cannot maintain that or enhance that through our work. And if you believe that, you'll be able to work restfully and rest joyfully. Suppose I fail, we often ask ourselves, and that anxiety can push you on and on. Suppose I never achieve much in my own eyes or in the eyes of others. Well, you are his, and he delights in you. Here's Keller again. If we can experience gospel rest in our hearts, if we can be free from the need to earn our salvation through our work, we will have a deep reservoir of refreshment that, continues, that continually rejuvenates us, restores our perspective, and renews our passion. If you're not a Christian, then you need to know that your work can never save you. What you truly need if you are to be satisfied is to be reconnected with your creator in an identity-shaping, life-giving, approval-granting relationship. The identity and security that you long for cannot be earned, but it is freely given in Jesus. You can receive it today as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the verses just before that say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is that saving grace that we respond to when we rest, reminding our hearts that our works do not save us and do not define us. We are not what we do. We are his precious children. So what else can keep us from the grace of resting? Here's a third lie we buy into. I can't rest because dot, dot, dot. The key word is can't. Can't indicates impossibility. Many of us should acknowledge that we find it difficult to rest, but difficulty can be overcome. But once we believe that it's truly not possible for us to rest, or not possible for us to rest in this season, then we've tied our own selves up for the robbers to steal from us. And what we have here basically is a gang of thieves. And it's a strange gang because it includes some beliefs that you wouldn't associate with each other. But they all conspire to reduce us to an exhausted heap. This gang includes a bunch of members here. Let me run through some of them. The religious achiever, otherwise known as, I have so much to do for God. The savior of my world, otherwise known as, these people need me. The world cannot be saved without me. The people pleaser, otherwise known as, I can't disappoint those who expect much of me. The warrior, otherwise known as, if I don't keep pushing, I can't see how God will provide for me. The rest procrastinator, otherwise known as, I'll rest when the work is done. These are the members of the gang that I can identify easily because I've looked in the mirror at different times in my life and I've seen every single one of them. When I'm prone to giving in to the religious achiever, I need to remember that rest itself is a wonderful diagnostic for all that can be wrong in my heart when I keep going and going for God. I might be trying to justify myself or earn the blessings I want from him. You know, we can do that. We can do all of these things, all these activities, all of these outreaches, uh, sharing our faith. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to put God in our debt. We're trying to say, God, you owe me blessings. See how much I'm putting out. 
I might be hiding from God by keeping my heart busy. Because when we keep going and going, it's really hard to hear God in a certain way. I mean, you can have a quick snap devotional kind of thing and just get, a, get, get into the day, but when we don't ever really slow down, there's so much God would want to say to us that we, we're not prepared to hear. It's hard to say what might be going on in our hearts, but if we learn to rest with God, we'll probably find out. If we seek to please God and refuse his gift of rest, we're making him look more like Pharaoh than Moses, more like a slave driver than a liberator, more like a tyrannical boss than a merciful father. And the good news that's again found in Ephesians 2.10 is that the good works that you are called to do have been given to you by the same good God who gives you his good gift of rest. So don't spurn his gift of rest in your attempts to please him. The Savior of my world also forgets this. He or she lives as if they must multiply fish and bread to deal with all the needs around them or, or whatever particular need they feel called to serve. And if they can't, they make up for their lack of resources with untiring effort and untenable hours. We can live as if we believe that the kingdom of God won't come if we embrace the rule of the king now and receive the gift of rest from him. I've got news for you. Embracing the rule of the king and receiving rest from him is a part of living in his glorious kingdom right now. The people pleaser needs to recognize that sometimes our strength can become our weakness. Some of you love to serve. You're glad to serve others. If there's a need, you're glad to be there, very willing to respond, and that's good until it becomes bad. You can know it's becoming or has become bad when you overcommit, when you're trying to help so many people that you make commitments that you can't keep since you can actually only be in one place at a time. Or when you're doing so much helping that you're never resting. Even Jesus rested when people needed him. No human being should always be available. The God-man modeled that for us. So planning to rest frees you to say no. A part of the remedy is to receive the grace to disappoint people from the gospel. Kimberly Girard, in writing on this topic, says, Often I don't say no because I'm afraid of what people will think of me. To say no, I must ask God for the grace to set down my idol of image, my inordinate concern about other people's opinions. My identity isn't in my service. My identity isn't in people thinking I'm a supermom or superwife or superhuman. My identity is in being a beloved child of God, period. That frees us to truly love people instead of trying to live up to their expectations. And it frees us to say no when we recognize that it would serve us in receiving God's good gift of rest. And often enough, those who truly love us will understand this even though they might be disappointed. So what about the warrior then? The warrior needs to stop mislabeling their anxiety as diligence. The Bible commends diligence, and it commends rest. Neither is to be pursued to the exclusion of the other. Psalm 127 verses 1 to 2, which we're actually going to return to in two weeks, it, uh, that, that, that section of that psalm pastors us all very well. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Another way of translating that last phrase is, for he gives to his beloved in their sleep. It's very interesting. The Hebrew allows for, for both of those, and both are very powerful ideas. Success is not simply a product of our efforts. God must be building and watching for our efforts to not be in vain. We must be dependent then in our diligence and not on our diligence. Dependent diligence on most days is going to look like committing our work to the Lord, putting in a good day's work, and then receiving a good night's sleep. No, there's a time and place for staying up late and getting up early. But here's where we need much wisdom and should proceed with great caution. If we have embraced our humanity, then we will understand that there are consequences to pushing our bodies hard. So if staying up late and getting up early is the norm for us rather than the exception, we need to check ourselves. If we're constantly sacrificing the people in our lives for the projects in our lives, if those God has called us to love the best, get the least of us and the worst of us, then we need to check ourselves. Again, if rest is something we're committed to, then what that's going to do for us is it's going to create a boundary that helps to protect us from believing and living a lie. That's one of the reasons as we go forward, as we get very practical in the next two weeks, one of the things I'm going to be calling us to do is to plan to rest and to be dedicated to those plans because that, it just holds you back sometimes from things that are driving you. It, it creates an opportunity to stop that you have embraced. So, what about us rest procrastinators? You know, us rest procrastinators, we think we'll get rest when we're finished the project, or when we're finished this degree, or when we've achieved this goal, or worse, we'll rest when we've saved enough or invested enough, or when we've become financially independent. We have all of these reasons why we have to keep going. And so, we may from time to time get some rest, but we certainly don't get it regularly and consistently. And even when there's a lull, we don't necessarily rest well because we're not invested in rest. This robber can plague entrepreneurs in particular, uh, along with its partner in crime, the warrior. It can steal from mothers too. I mean, there's a reason we have the saying, a mother's work is never done. Wayne Mueller provides wise counsel. Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we are finished all our work, we will never stop because our work is never completely done. If we refuse rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. So how do you manage the fact that you didn't finish what you hoped for in a given day? Well, you set a time to stop and you go home. Or if you work at home, you stop and you do something else. Put in a good day's work and trust God with the outcome. Did somebody tell you that faith would be easy? Well, it isn't. But he gives more grace. And that grace is the hope offered to all of us who've been robbed by believing that we can't rest, that we are what we do, and that we don't really need rest. Psalm 116 is a psalm of thanksgiving for God's deliverance from a crisis in response to the prayer of the psalmist. In the second stanza, the psalmist affirms God's inherent goodness and his experience of that goodness and speaks powerfully to his own soul. 
This is verses 5 through 7. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, or God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. We have all, to varying degrees, been shaped by lies about who we are that amplify our restlessness and rob us of rest. But we can learn to combat them by speaking to our souls and calling ourselves to embrace rest. And the psalmist gives us our rationale. He gives us our reason. The Lord has dealt bountifully with you. God has been good to you. And that's what we remind our hearts of. And hasn't God been good to us? Just this morning, we took some time and just prayed, thanking God for the gift of salvation. Hasn't God been gracious to us in Christ? It is when we understand that our gracious God knows our frame, that we are dust, and that that knowledge is a compassionate knowledge, that that's when we'll be able to adjust our expectations of ourselves and accept God's invitation to rest regularly and to be renewed. It is when we understand that our gracious God accepts us not on the basis of our imperfect work, no matter how frantically we offer it, but on the basis of Jesus' perfect work that Jesus offered in this wonderfully unhurried way that we can work restfully and receive rest from Him. It is when we understand that the purposes that God has for us will not be achieved through unwise, faithless, unending efforts, but through dependent, measured, God-blessed work that we'll be able to resist the voices that say, just a little bit more. And hear and respond to Jesus saying, come aside and rest, my child. We will be able to rest when we believe his word in Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. We can pause, cease the work of our hands regularly and consistently because the covenant-keeping God will not forsake the work of his hands. Christian, keep your eyes on the grace of God. Grow in the grace of God. Grow in your understanding of how God in Christ has changed everything about who you are and therefore rightly changes how you do everything that you're called to do. And let that grace soothe your anxious, busy heart as we continue to learn to receive rest from Jesus. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Joel Bain, the lead pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.